Hello everybody and welcome back to First Pass the Podcast, a podcast about politics by students for students. With me, Ellie. Me, Zoe. Me, Eve. And me, Cam. Today, we're going to be doing a intro to British politics. I'm calling this one British Politics 101. Um, and we're going to be talking about everything that is the basics of British politics. So what you need to understand well, to be an active citizen and to vote, but also if you're thinking about doing a politics A-level. So we're going to cover today the political makeup of the UK, um, the voting system of the UK, the roles of important people within government and how the government actually works. So the first thing that we need to talk about is who is our Prime Minister? Boris Johnson. Oh, yeah. So our Prime Minister is the head of the largest party in the House of Commons. So currently that's Boris Johnson and he's the leader of the Conservative Party. And the Prime Minister has lots of different roles um, and is probably the most important role that they have is the head of the UK political system. So they propose laws, they work closely with their cabinet to propose these laws. They're involved in the sort of the nitty gritty of running a country. So they do their meetings, they work on diplomacy and they are the public face of government when we say government we think boris don't we yeah we do and do we <laughs> we all do we think of you think of like you, you could you could think of like cabinet cabinet ministers okay so who do you think of if it's you don't subject think of boris. Dominic Raab, Dominic Raab. <laughs> do you actually really yeah of I all the people with everybody well, no, well obviously you think of boris first but right so that's, so, what so that's the whole point you know but then it's not just boris you know what i'm saying yeah, I, I get yeah. that. There are other important people. But Boris is first. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, I mean, arguably, depending on your political persuasion, maybe you're not going to, like, just because he's the current prime minister, you might think of, like, the leader of a different party. Yeah, that's true. Good point. The next important thing to know is the current political makeup of the House of Commons. So as it stands today on the 10th of November 2021, we have 365 Conservative MPs, 202 Labour MPs, 45 Scottish National Party MPs, 11 Lib Dem MPs and one Green Party MP. Yeah, once you understand that, we're going to go on to what I've decided to call the very basic basics, which are the things that you need to know to understand politics in the UK. So the first thing we're going to talk about is how do we actually vote in the UK? How does it work? How so, were these people who sit in Parliament elected? Yeah, how, why do we have the 365 Conservative MPs sitting there? So I'm going to go on to Zoe, who's going to tell us about the concept of First Past the Post. Also abbreviated as FPTP, which is a very good note form to have for your notes. Completely side note there. Okay, so First Past the Post, also named after this podcast... Um, is basically the main you name voting the podcast system. after the voting system. Oh, <laughs> 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 it can, but yeah, we came up with it first. Yeah, oh yeah, I know. My bad. Okay, so it's the main voting system in England, um, used in elections at Westminster, um, and it's basically a system of plurality, um, in which the candidate who wins the most votes is elected. Um, so, in 2015, David Cameron won 36.8% of the vote, but 50.8% of the seats. So there's a complete mistranslation there, which you can talk about in your exam. And that's a really simple overview of First Past the Post. And Eve's going to talk about the concept of constituencies. Yeah, so when we vote in First Past the Post, we vote 
in the constituencies that we live in. So the UK is divided into 650 constituencies, which correspond to the 650 seats in Parliament. Um, 533 of these constituencies are in England, 59 in Scotland, 40 in Wales and 18 in Northern Ireland. They're um, made up of around 72,000 people. They have to be around the same number of people to make sure that the sort of threshold in order to get the majority for one candidate to then put them in Parliament is similar, regardless of where you live. Um, so then when election day comes round, each constituency holds a little election where everyone in that constituency can vote for the candidate that's standing in their constituency for any particular party. And they become the local MP. And Cam is going to tell us about that. So local MPs are elected by members of their constituency, which uh, he was just talking about, but are usually a member of one of the main political parties, so that would be you know, Labour or Conservative, and they represent the interests of their constituencies in Parliament, so they'll, you know, they'll vote on topics that you know, affect their constituency the most, um, and bearing in mind what their constituents are on that topic. So like That's- Boris, when... Heathrow, we're talking about building a third runway. When He's been back and forth on that, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he has been Depending. back and forth on that. But he was saying he was very anti the third runway because his constituents were very anti the, the third runway. Despite the fact that along party lines, I'm pretty sure... They yeah, were they wanted... The, the Conservatives wanted the third runway. What yeah. is Boris's constituency? It's in London. It's in yeah. Greater London. It's like... Oh, it's like on the M25. Uxbridge. Yeah. Uxbridge. She knows everything. Yeah. Um, and they hold a weekly surgery to help constituents with any issues they might be having. And, you know, recently that's been in the news for all the wrong reasons for that. Uh, yeah, with David Am- Amos. Um, but usually surgeries are held, you know, to for constituents to voice their uh, concerns to their MPs so they can take that to Parliament and, you know, uh, exercise that through voting or standing up and giving speeches and things like that. Doesn't Jeremy Hunt hold a surgery in Sainsbury's? He does because oh. it's like yeah, the easiest place does. for him. It's trying to appeal the to the modern man, I think. Yeah, applying to all the entire community. Like, is there not like a village hall he could hold it in? Yeah, exactly. Or There's a school, like, like a, a school or yeah. Just down the cereal aisle with... <laughs> Jeremy Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, you know, that really leads on to what is Parliament, which is Ellie's going to cover. So Parliament is obviously the big building in London. Um it's awesome if you've been there. I've been there. It's really cool. Um, but so there's three main institutions within Parliament. So there's the House of Commons, which has the green seats, the House of Lords, which has the red seats, and then the monarch, which is obviously the Queen. Um, and we call it, it's a bicameral system because of the... Big word. <laughs> Cam, Cam's grinning at me. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not grinning. I'm not grinning. Um, because there's two main chambers, the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Um, and... Basically, it is the source of all political power in the UK. So no other body in the UK can hold political power without Parliament giving it to them because Parliament is the source of political power in the UK. And And that's that's a really important thing to know. That's according to the Constitution, which outlines the fact that Parliament in the UK is sovereign. It has it has the legal power. Yeah. Yeah. Legal and political powers. Well, isn't um, that an argument? Because does the government have political power? But isn't the parliament giving the government legal and political yeah, power? Yeah, parliament gives it to the government, I exactly. think. But isn't legal power where it actually lies and then political power where it... No, legal is where it theoretically lies and political is where it actually lies. So then the argument is, does all 
like does the power actually lie with the government because the government controls parliament yeah that's that that's the main argument you could also use that argument with the queen though because she obviously has no political power yeah but she has yeah she has legal power yeah And the main job of Parliament is to scrutinise the government. And Zoe is going to tell us all about what the government is. So the government, by definition, is a group of people with the authority to govern. Um, But in the UK, there's sort of a differentiation from that. So basically... We like to mix things up a bit. We like to do things differently. Yeah. Um, The UK government is selected from Parliament. So currently, we have a Conservative government with Boris Johnson as the Prime Minister. And within that, there's a cabinet. So an inner circle um, committee of senior ministers, reference to Hamilton there. Oh, yeah. Um, and they work in departments so such as health, education, the treasury, um, notably um, led by the prime minister again, Boris Johnson. Um, and the role of cabinet is to construct policy. And that's where the debate on if um, government holds the power or if parliament holds the power Um, And from that, I'm going to go on to Eve, who's going to talk about how does the House of Commons work? What does it do? Yeah, so the House of Commons is basically the main lawmaking body of the UK. So it's where the 650 MPs sit and they debate about the passage of legislation. So how laws are being created and which laws should go through and things like that. So each MP has the responsibility to represent the view of their constituents, like what we were saying earlier about the MPs so sometimes that's gonna cause a kind of Debate? battle of interest a, a what is it conflict a of conflict of interest between possibly what they might personally believe what their party might be advocating for and then what their constituency would want um and then the house of commons also have to scrutinize legislation and then vote on it so that's the actual formal process of whether a law becomes legitimised or not. And then often it, within the House of Commons, debates will happen on sort of important matters of the time. So recently there's been a lot of debates about Afghanistan. So then the other house is the House of Lords, which Cam will talk about. So picking up from Eve, um, the House of Lords would probably also debate Afghanistan, but in a more moralistic view. They'll probably debate it you know, over time they'll probably look at the morals of pulling out of Afghanistan. So that's sort of their role. The 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 Commons is sort of like in the moment debating whether it's right or wrong and they hold, hold the, all the power, but the House of Lords will sort of take a more moralistic view because then, you know, they're not voted in and they're, and they're there for life. So they don't have to worry about what they say. Um, they further scrutinise legislation, but they cannot block it. And this sort of ends in something called parliamentary ping pong. Can they delay it by a year? Or do it's, they... Yeah, it's yeah, a year they can delay, delay it by, yeah. but they can't block it. And then after that, it's, you know, it's down to the uh, House of Commons because, you know, a phrase that will always crop up when you're talking about this is that the Commons will always win. The yeah. Lords, you know, they can they can only block it for a certain amount of time. Um, That's a really good fact to use in any essays that come up on the House of Lords. So parliamentary ping pong is yeah. a really, really and, and good... And where the power also, lies and stuff. Also, I think mm. it's important to note that the House of Lords, lots of them are experts in, like, yeah. their field. So, like, lots of them will be, like, ex-doctors ex-lawyers you know they're gonna they are or ex-politicians ex-politicians yeah there's there's quite a few ex-prime ministers yeah didn't Theresa May do a lot of that putting lots of MPs in the House of Lords yeah because lots of the time if a like an MP that was a minister is loses their seat in an election they'll put them in the House of Lords because if you've been Chancellor of the Exchequer or you know whatever you've got a lot of expertise but it's just going to waste 
So lots yeah, of so prime ministers will do that. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what the principle of how the House of Lords comes to be. So it's not elected like the House of Commons. It's appointed on the basis of what they know and what they can kind of bring into the system. The debate lies in that they're not voted in. Yeah. It's undemocratic. Mm. I think we're going to do an episode on this. Yeah, yes. I think it deserves an episode. It's uh, undemocratic. So I think an important thing we need to talk about now is we've spoken about the roles of the House of Commons and the House of Lords and how they scrutinise legislation. But we've not really talked about how that legislation actually comes to be. So I'm going to talk about how a bill becomes a law. So when a minister or a member of the House of Par- Houses of Parliament <laughs> decides that they want to propose a bill, they can do this. They apply and they can propose a bill which is basically their idea of what a law will be. So once it has passed all the formal checks, it goes into the House for what we call a first reading. So this is essentially just the title being published and then all the details will then be published alongside that for MPs to then read at their own leisure. And then they come back for the second reading, which is where the general themes of the bill are debated. Once that's happened, it goes into what we call the committee stage. So a committee is formed for each bill and they examine it line by line by MPs and then it's it's then amended. Can I just quickly ask, who... Like, can any MP propose a bill? Yes. OK. There's... The public can Pu- The public bills can propose well, bills yeah. too. The one about the food allergy. Oh. Um, about the girl that ate that pret sandwich. That's changed a lot now. I mean, I, I work at Waitrose, so it's flex. <laughs> on, uh, on all of our counters now, we have to rewrap everything. So and they're not allowed to give out the free bakery food at the end of the day because oh. you might eat it and it's got something... The staff that can. But... You see, you should work at Sainsbury's so you can meet your local MP. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> After the committee stage, the committee will then report its amendments and this is where the more detailed debate happens in the third reading. So this is where the House of Commons will finalise what they want to say about this bill and how they want to present this bill and then it gets sent up to the House of Lords who then will repeat this process with the different readings and the committees and then once they are happy with it, they send it back to the House of Commons who will then say, oh, we don't like that change, they'll send it back to the House of Lords and this is where the ping pong actually ensues. Once both houses are happy with this the queen will then sign it off and it becomes a law and that's pretty much the essence of how a bill becomes a law um you might be wondering why is the queen involved it's basically just for formal yeah it's tradition the queen can't the queen i mean she could say that she doesn't want to sign it off but, but she, she won't never would. isn't that the problem well, no, actually, having with boris it? asked her to um prorogue oh yeah parliament but she did it yeah, yeah, she did she do it. Yeah, yeah. She, has, she has to. Just so so that's an example of her using her power, even illegal? though it wasn't her choice. Yeah, it was. The Supreme Court said it was illegal. Yeah. But weren't they um, worried about Charles becoming king because he's slightly more radical than... Yeah, I think... No, he's I mean, more politically some... involved. More politically involved. <laughs> I mean, some, some people are worried about that, but realistically, once he gets to that situation he's where not he gonna stand is up. in that control, like, you, you can't do that. It's so undemocratic. <laughs> Yeah, but is the UK democratic? That's a whole debate in itself. That could be an episode, guys. So we've sort of done the like nitty gritty of how the political system in the UK works. So now we're going to talk a bit more theoretical. So we're going to talk about the concepts of like being left wing and right wing, because these are phrases that are quite often thrown about. So we feel like it's important that people understand what they're actually about. So 
I'm going to go on to Zoe, who's going to tell us about the concept of being left-wing. So there's a political spectrum within politics, and I don't know if those who are listening have done the political um, compass test. I really recommend it. It's really yes, interesting. 100%. It's really eye-opening. It is, yeah. And, and you can put yourself near to other people who, you know, maybe you wouldn't think that you would politically align with them, but you actually will. So the parties, they've got their positions on there. There's, you know, just famous people... Also, like, if you didn't didn't know beforehand, like, I really didn't know where I lied before. Yeah, yeah. you lied. Lied. Lay. Lay. He didn't know where he was. I didn't know where I was on the spectrum, but now I do. Um, also, it's funny to see how it changed since studying politics. Yes. Because mine changed a lot. The trend is that to it changes left, quite a lot. Just outwards, at least. Like, from the middle. Because people become more, like, opinionated. Radicalised. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so there's a pretty basic scale. So there's left wing and right wing and the centre. Um, so Cam will probably speak to you in a little bit about right wing. So I'm just going to focus on left wing. Um, left wing, basically, in its simplest form, is an ideology centred around social equality, reform and a rejection of social hierarchy. Um, specifically, they focus on higher taxes for the rich, welfare for the poor, um, and government regulation of business. So they believe in intervention of the economy, which is supposed to basically perform a redistribution of wealth, which will ultimately benefit the entirety of society. Um, And in the UK, the parties on that side of the spectrum are Labour, SNP, so the Scottish National Party, and the Green Party, with the furthest left of those being the Green Party. Um, And interestingly, the... Labour and SNP standing on the political spectrum, it actually interchanges a lot. It a, lo- a lot of it depends on... The political party's views generally depend on the leader at the time, yeah. doesn't it? Yep, so the Labour Party currently have Keir Starmer as the leader of the opposition, which we'll get into later in this episode. And um, the he his views differ a lot from Jeremy Corbyn, who was Much more, more left. Left-wing. Yeah, um who was the previous leader of the opposition. Um, So Cam's going to talk basically about right-wing ideals, um, who's the right-wing parties in the UK. So the right-wing parties in the UK are the Conservatives, the Brexit Party, the UKIP Party, uh, and with some Lib Dem policies being uh, more right-leaning than left, and that was shown through the 2015 uh, Clegg and Cameron coalition, which uh, helped the Conservatives gain a majority in Parliament. I feel like you're obsessed with the coalition. The co- it's Am the I? only coalition we've ever had. It's quite important. Yeah. It, is quite important. it also shows how first past the post isn't immune from coalitions. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. It's very Although ninety nine percent of the time they do prov- like provide one massive majority. Uh, the main views include uh, they believe that a certain level of social inequality is unavoidable. Uh, the government should pay, play a limited role in people's lives. Believe that less business regulation will help innovation. Lower taxes on businesses will help them grow. So in other words, if we don't interfere with business and we leave the market to its own devices, it's better for the economy. Uh, and generally less progressive and want to uphold traditions is sort of like the stereotypical right wing. Uh, like views. the monarchy. and yeah, exactly. Traditional family values. Yeah, traditional family values. nuclear values. family. So things like that would be the traditional right wing stereotypical views. Okay, guys, I think we've covered our very basic basics. So now woo. we're going to... Woo! Oh, 30 woo. minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about an introduction to key figures in politics. 
So the first key figure we're going to be talking about is the leader of the opposition. So we've talked about the Prime Minister and how they're the leader of the largest party in the House of pa- House of Commons. And But the leader of the opposition is the leader of the second largest party in the House of Commons, which we call the opposition. So they sit on opposing sides of the chamber. And the leader of the opposition currently is Keir Starmer. Um, he's the leader of the Labour Party. Sadly, he's got COVID now, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's why Ed mis- Miliband had to uh, step in. He, for him, Ed which Miliband was, was so the best thing good. I've seen. I love Ed Miliband. The job description of the leader of the opposition, I guess, includes they present an alternative to, to the prime minister. The ultimate goal of the leader of the opposition is to become the prime minister. So they're trying to present an alternative to the prime minister by creating alternative policy ideas and. They chair the shadow cabinet, which is each member of the cabinet, which Zoe spoke about earlier, has a shadow, effectively, within government, who is a member of the opposition party, who proposes alternative ideas, working together with the leader of the opposition to do this. And another really important part of their job is scrutiny. So they do this through Prime Minister's Questions, which is... If you haven't watched an episode of Prime Minister's Questions, it's a good watch. Is it on every... Every Wednesday, Wednesday yeah. at 12 o'clock. So literally today? Yeah. Oh. We, could we coincide. We could do a review of a Prime Minister's Questions one week. <gasps> we should. So scrutiny is obviously a very important part of the Leader of the Opposition. Um, and that pretty much sums up the Leader of the Opposition. So the next sort of key player, there's what we call the four big offices of state. So that is the Chancellor of the Exchequer, the Home Secretary, the Foreign Secretary, and obviously the Prime Minister. So we're going to move on and talk about the Chancellor of the Exchequer. So the person who holds this position currently is Rishi Sunak, who is a really well-known Conservative, especially currently because he's recently been responsible for the furlough scheme. Dishy Rishi. Eat out to help out. um, All of those things, basically upholding the economy in the time of the COVID crisis. Yeah. Um, But the job that he holds, he has the um, role of managing the economy creating the budget um so the budget that the government will spend money on um and basically raising and lowering taxes of the uk that was really soon wasn't it the budget that was, yeah we've that had, was recently yeah we had the big budget and then they had the winter budget it's the normal budget in march yeah so the chancellor of the exchequer is a really crucial role because um economic crisis ultimately reflects on the government the chancellor also, and the prime minister are normally like sort of best buds best buds well. like Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. Sometimes are not always best buds, though. Yeah, but like you, yeah, that's true actually. But they are like the two sort of biggest faces of the government. They they go hand in hand. They do, Um, literally. So Eve is now going to talk to us about the next office of state, which is the Home Secretary. So the current Home Secretary is Priti Patel, Conservative MP. She's quite controversial as a as an appointment. She actually um. I don't know how long ago it was, but she stood for the death penalty, I think. Yeah. Um, she's... One of the many reasons she's quite so controversial. And she's broken ministerial code a few times. We'll go on and explain what ministerial code is probably in another episode. But just kind of not acting properly. So the Home Secretary's, con- the Home Secretary's job is basically they are responsible for what happens in at home in the state. So this includes keeping um law and order within the UK so the any issues with the law enforcement in the UK she oversees that and she also oversees MI5 as well as That's kind um, of cool actually. I think that'd be a cool role. Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't realise this. When it says security, it literally means MI5. So like James Bond? Yeah. I thought that was MI6. Oh. Oh. MI6 is James Bond. I, oh. I don't watch James Bond. Neither do I. Like, is, MI5 is at home. MI6 is like the oh. global security. She also covers the policy surrounding immigration. Um, uh, interestingly, I would say that quite a lot of ex-prime ministers have also been Home Secretary. So Churchill was Home Secretary, Callaghan was Home, home Secretary, and so was Theresa May. So that's just quite interesting. Ooh. It's clearly a drop. You heard it here somewhere, first, guys. Somewhere where Predicting the next, Predicting uh, the next the Prime next Minister. Prime Minister. So the next great office of state is the Foreign Secretary. So currently that is Elizabeth Truss. She's a Conservative MP. It used to be Dominic Raab, but they had the recent cabinet reshuffle and it is now Liz Truss. Um, and the role of the Foreign Secretary is to protect and promote British interests worldwide. And they're a global diplomat. So they will be the ones on the phone to other countries to try and fix like global crises Um and they'll work together with other countries to help combat global issues. Um, and they will also help share intelligence with the with other countries. So it's basically they represent Britain on the global stage. So they're pretty, pretty important, I'd say. So maybe they're the main face of UK politics to everyone outside of yeah, the UK. Yeah, that's, that's so true, actually. Wasn't Boris Foreign Secretary? Yeah, he I was. So, yeah. so also maybe Foreign Secretaries are quite... Um, I guess probably the four main officers. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so the next person we're going to talk about is the Health and Social Care Secretary. So go on, Cam. Our Health and Social Care Secretary is Sajid Javid, uh, who is a Conservative, obviously, and his um, has overall financial control and oversight of the NHS delivery and performance and oversight of social care policy. And they were obviously a big key player in COVID. Yeah. His role, I think, got bumped up a bit, although he's not part of the big four. He's... Yeah, people care Love a lot more now. about ho- yeah, health and, and social he care now. Just, he became quite high profile, especially because of when they were making the announcements about COVID policies and stuff. He was always present. Well, not Sajid, it was well, Matt. Well, yeah, no. The last minister we're going to be talking about is the Education Secretary. So, Zoe, take it away. So, the current Education Secretary is Nadim Zahawi, who's another Conservative. Um, and the job of the Education Secretary is literally in the name... Um, overseeing education, the education system in the UK, um, children's social care and the teacher recruitment and retention in the UK. Um, a thing that greatly impacts you or a student um, is the school curriculum. So Nadim Zahawi is in charge of um, the composition of the school curriculum um, and the improvement of schools as well, not only in um, the curriculum sense, but also the improvement of infrastructure essentially overseeing the well-being of students in education. So the next two people are not technically sort of cabinet ministers, but they're important people within the UK political system. So Eve's going to talk to us about the Speaker of the House of Commons. Yeah, so the Speaker of the House of Commons is currently Sir Lindsay Hoyle, who is a Labour MP. And their job is basically to help facilitate the day-to-day running of Parliament. They preside over the Houses... Houses? Houses... (laughs) debates determining which members I'm sorry I thought that was going to be a cut oh it's fine you can I can I'll just yeah do you want to repeat that I'm sorry I thought it's all good so their job basically includes facilitating the day-to-day running of parliament they preside over the house's debates determining which members may speak and which amendments are selected for consideration so amendments of bills 
Um, they're responsible for maintaining order during debate. And order? They... That's order. my impression. Order? Yeah. Order? Because it can get a bit rowdy. It always gets a bit rowdy. It just, it's two competing sides. Like, I don't, like, the way they've designed it is pretty, like, it's two heads yeah. competing. Yeah, it's very, I was about to say intimate. It's medieval. <laughs> That's what it is. It's medieval. There's not enough seats for everybody to actually sit so in Parliament. Yeah. But it was designed that way, I'm pretty yeah. sure. It was designed so it feels like a lively Do you think house. they'd ever refurbish it? Or... It's no, a, I've it's... been, and it's actually not as fresh as you think it is. Mm. Sorry, go on, Eve. Um, and within maintaining order, they can punish MPs who break the rules of the house. The speaker is elected by the MPs in Parliament, and they try to be pi- pi? They try to be Bye. bipartisan. So they're not always going to be the same as the governing party, but they're not always going to be the opposition. So currently it's Labour, but it could be from any. Well, John Burko was a Conservative. Yes, and he was a an ex speaker, and he was a speaker while we had a Conservative. Yeah, government. exactly. So, and the most important person in government, I personally think, is Definitely. the chief mouser, Larry the Cat. So, Cam, do you want to tell us about Larry? So, Larry is bipartisan by nature, and <laughs> uh, his uh, roles include greeting guests to the house, inspecting security defences, testing antique furniture for napping quality, and his day-to-day <laughs> responsibilities also include contemplating a solution to the mouse occupancy of the house. Because it's quite an old building. So yeah, 10 Downing Street's old. So you're gonna need a uh, you're gonna need a uh, cat in the house. It's really funny because if you see videos of reporters outside Ten Downing Street, you can Larry see Larry in the background. Yeah, and he occasionally catches a bird. Doesn't the like home office cat and Larry have a bit of beef? Palmerston. Oh, I think Palmerston yeah. died. <gasps> oh, rest in peace. Larry was bought by David Cameron as a, he was. A, he's a rescue cat, and he was bought by David Cameron to um, for his children. But Larry's actually not as friendly, like as you think. And apparently, he doesn't like men either. Oh, he really liked Barack Obama. Apparently, Larry that was a big amazing. fan. <laughs> we love Larry. Yeah. This is an unofficial Larry Larry fan club. We hope that this has been helpful in sort of giving you an outline and an overview of what British politics actually looks like and how it works. Um, thank you for listening and thank we'll you. see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.